You're listening to The Running Public. From marathoners to mud runners, we all have the same goal. Get to the finish line faster. That's right. This podcast is for you guys, The Running Public. Bracken, are my words moving with my mouth, if that makes sense? They are. Do you think you have a connection issue? No, I, I don't think I have a connection issue. I think my face is frozen. This is strange because we only live five hours apart. Mm-hmm. And right now it is 31 degrees here. Stop it. It snowed last night, but it's up to 31 this morning. Fahrenheit. Yeah, my phone my phone says three degrees and negative 19 with the wind chill. <laughs> Winter is here. Winter came fast, man, and uh, my treadmill is still down at my house, which I just need to fix. It's my own fault. And so uh, you got one option when you got to get it done, Bracken, and let's go outside. So we got like 23-mile-an-hour winds blowing across the lake, and I got it done, and uh, here I am. But my face is starting to unthaw, so it's good. So did you go with the wind blocker pants and briefs, or were you caught with your trousers down, so to speak? Well, neither, because running outside with no pants on um, any time of year is contraindicated. But uh, figuratively, uh, in the states, anyways, where I live. But uh, no, I went with uh, you know the old running undies and then a pair of two XU tights and then fleece lined pants over them, which did the trick. It was more okay. my fingers. I wore running mitts, mittens. But you know, you got to sometimes curl your hands up inside the mittens and like mm-hmm. hug, hug your own thumb with your fingers just so you can maintain dexterity. Well, like that was kind of the situation, but you know, usually we ease into it a little bit more this time of year and uh, wham, it smacked me across the face. What was your previous coldest run this since, since cold weather started hitting this year? Upper twenties, but like nice calm conditions. And this was three with 20 some mile an hour wind. So very, very different. Not bad. Yeah. You, you lost almost 40 degrees with wind chill and that's tough yeah. to overcome. My mom has what she calls the 10 degree rule. Okay. If the temperature changes more than 10 degrees up or down, you can't adapt to it right away. Like it, it's shocking. Yeah. If you're used to seventies and it hits 80, you're hot. But like 70, 75, you're okay. 37 degrees is, is shocking. Yeah. And when you like, well, the one thing you don't think is like when that, cause I live right on the lake and it's a big open oh. space. And when that, when that wind blows across it and all the roads surround the lake, it is, it's like amped, amped up even, even more. But, um, Bracken, listen, let's, let's not beat around the bush here. Okay. We don't need to worry about me right now because, because you did a thing this weekend. Yeah. I will say before you go here, um, I followed along on the Instagram, on the running public Instagram a little bit with how things were going. And, um, I text Lisa a little bit, your wife, but, um, I must say I was impressed. I was impressed with your intensity given the situation. More importantly, I was impressed with your, um, desperation during your gear change granted that it wasn't really required. It showed how seriously, and dialed in, you were taking the event as an athlete. Like, I was very, very impressed with the focus, I think. Not desperation, focus. So I wanted to pat you on the back for that. I was like, Bracken's like doing this for real. Yeah, I was, I was in it. Yeah, you were I, in it. I mean, we talked beforehand that 
the goals were prove that I'm healthy and recovered from surgery, prove that I'm capable of doing it physically. And then when I get to the point where it gets bad and I dropped out at Tahoe, that you stay the course, you bear down and you see it through. And I got to, I got to check all three boxes. So it got, it got to the point where you had to bear down that Tahoe point of, oh man, this is getting real happened. Yeah. And there's two points I feel like of any long race, there's the, it's getting real and I'm still like taking care of business on pace, on course, whatever it is in position. And there's the, this is not fun anymore. Why am I doing this? Yep. I I don't really need this anymore. And that's the that's the point. I don't mind the it's getting real. It's the what in the world am I even doing out here point. And that hit two hours sooner than I thought it was going to, Kirk. Well, not to give it all away, but you did have a substantial lead at that point. Which is worse. Well, that's that's what I'm that's what I'm saying. Yeah, like that's a, a lot of people would look at it and say, oh, well, that's easy for you to say. <laughs> you know, it's kind of like people who have money always say money doesn't matter, saying right. it's bad to be in the lead. Well, this wasn't a competitive event per se. It's one of the coolest, most spectacular events I've ever witnessed. And I've raced multiple continents over the course of 20 years here, 21 years. This is a unique event, but it's not set up to be a race for everyone. Most people are out there for a different reason than competition. It's uh, being in the lead isn't necessarily like winning the world championship because that's not the point of being there. So being in the lead there is easier to do than in other races. And being in the lead is a dangerous place because then you can say, oh, maybe I'll just hold on for the win. Mm -hmm. I can pit for a half hour. I could just start tiptoeing the downhills because if, if if the win is all that mattered, I wouldn't have been able to check box number three. Does that make sense? Makes perfect sense. I don't want it to come off as arrogant because this was not a race field. This was a find something else about you. Find something mm -hmm. out about yourself competition. Well, and we know going into this, your goal was sort of to do pretty much all your goals had to do with the find something out about yourself realm versus yeah it was that and it was a total number of laps and that was it and uh why don't we just rip the band-aid off and, and tell them what your goal was where you ended up all of that uh the i'll be happy with 28 laps was the beagle what we call it mm -hmm. and then the stretch goal was 30 laps because 28 laps would get me 30.9 miles with coming over veering off course a little bit will give me a full 31 miles, call it a 50 K. You know, it's a true ultra with that much vert. I'm happy to complete an ultra in six hours on that course. And what was your total vert for the effort? 9,680 feet. Sweet. Strava ripped me off about 40 feet of vert, but it ripped me off of two miles of running. Really? Cause you're in the trees. Cause yeah. it's so dense in the yeah. trees there. So it said 30 on the head and it was 32. We talked all the, Throughout this, I was going to try to run 12 minute pace and 12 minute per lap until the wheels came off because my course is a little bit long. I was coming through 1130, almost on the dot. I was 1118 to 1134 for two and a half hours and a flip just switched and my legs were shot. Yeah, that'll happen. 
And I, what did I say? I have four to four and a half hours of descending in me. I know that I've done it in training. I got done with three and a half hours with no noticeable damage. I ran the next day. Where were you not to, I just want to know at the three hour mark, where were you at? Not wanting to be there. No, um, statistically. (laughs) I was ahead. Okay. So at, at one hour, I came through five laps at 56, like 50. Oh, wow. So I was a little over three minutes ahead at that point of, of the 30 lap pace. And by two hours, I was seven minutes up. So I was continuing that same pace. And by three hours, I was five and a half minutes up hmm. where I was still running the pace, but I was starting to lose the, the cushion. Yep. But I already knew every step from here on out, it only gets worse. You saw my pit at like three, that was three Oh something. So I was halfway through and already like searching for answers. The concept of going three more hours was almost unfathomable at that point because in that three and a half hour workout, I did prep for this where I did like 5,800 or 6,000 feet of vert. in that time I was not smoked. I never took the the quad damage. Mm Mm-hmm. I had so much quad damage by two and a half hours that it was scary. I was already playing the cramp game, the twinging cramp game at three hours. And the idea of now it's time to do a three hour hill workout. Like I, I just couldn't even fathom it. I, w- I was scared. I'm not, I'm not like overplaying this either. I was, I was truly worried about myself out there. On Were course. you worried more about your body giving out on you or your mind? Which led body. the way? Body. Then that was the scary part. You knew you were going to see it through if the, as the body allowed you to, it was more like it just may start cramping or it may start, my calves may go, or my quads might be so trashed. I can't descend anymore at any sort of pace. It would have been that situation. That's how it started. But by four hours, I was, I realized I was starting to look for a way out rather than looking for a way back in, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. And that became my mantra. I was whispering it to myself. I was chanting it out loud. I was on every exhale going down the hill. I was saying, find a way back in, like find a way back. Cause once you're smashed in your legs, it's real easy to say, oh, there's a, cause this, this course is technical downhill and it turns and it rained during the race and it's all dirt and rock to begin with. And when it rains, it just becomes a slip and slide and it was slick. And so you have to encourage yourself to actually work the downhill. And if there's like a pack of people ahead, cause you're just all doing the same. They were 40 hour race, 24 hour race, 12 hour race, eight hour race, six hour race. Mm-hmm. We were all on the same 1.1 mile loop. So you're just always around people. And at the beginning of the race, there's a pack of people ahead of you. You kind of accelerate a little to get a free run down the hill to get around them. And suddenly by four hours, I was realizing I was hoping there was a pack ahead of me <laughs> so that I didn't have to roll the hill. And, and I, that's when I realized, all right, this is the second part. This isn't the, it's not necessarily fun anymore. This is, you don't actually want to be in it anymore. Mm. And so that I started to worry that, am I, am I the Bracken from the last few years who gets to this point and comes up with the, yeah, it'd be logical to stop pushing. And I just like, I pulled out every trick we've ever talked about on this podcast, Kirk, everything you've ever said, everything I've ever said, anything a guest ever said. And I self-talked and I ranted at myself and I talked out loud and I did everything I could to 
to find a way back into racing. It was it was really really dark for for a while. Well, did you find your way back into racing or was it more mm-hmm. like slowing the bleeding? It started with slowing the bleeding. I was running 1134, 1128, 1132, 1130, just clicking. I had, I was timing everything. I was to the start of the power hiking on each lap. I wanted to be at 430 or under to that point. And then I needed to be 545 by the tree at the top of the hill where I started mm-hmm. running again. And then once it bled, I needed to stay sub six. And suddenly I was 622, 630 through that point. And it was like, mm-hmm. get it back to six minutes just get back under six and all those little points. It was that, but I was, I'm doing, you're doing math the whole time because yep. it's not racing. You're not concerned about position. So it's just constant calculations of what's my lap pace. What am I going to come through at? What does that change for my, my plus minus on the day? And suddenly the math got depressing. It was okay. Now, if this lap becomes my new baseline and I can only get slower from here, 31 because for a while I was looking at if I can close the race down I'll hit 31 laps because I'm seven and a half minutes ahead at the Mm -hmm. three hour mark and then it became if I hold this I can hit 29 still 31's way out the window 30's gone now Mm -hmm. maybe I can hit 29 and then by four hours it was 29's gone now if I just hold this pace I can hit 28 and that got so depressing and it took, I, I got a shot of Perform Elite at the 4, 420 mark. Smart. That put some life back in you. I saved some. It didn't at first. It was still dark. And then the sun went down. And at dusk, the caffeine hadn't hit. Your eyes, I was already a little dizzy for a while. And my eyesight wasn't working great at dusk. Mm-hmm. And I hit my slowest laps. And then the moment it turned into headlamp time, I got a new lease on life. Interesting. Usually it's the opposite of that. Well, and I mean, but you know me, I'm a nighttime runner. I'm a dark. Mm-hmm. I come a little bit alive in the dark and it worked. The caffeine hit right as the sun and it was a light switch. It was a half a lap where I'm not sure if I need the headlamp or not. And then the next lap, all you could see was lights from the headlamps. And that mm-hmm. was it. It was pitch black. And and I went from like a 14 something to a 1310. I just like, I said one more, give one lap, staunch the flow a little bit. And if. If you can staunch it a little, then you can maybe salvage 28. And I cut a minute off the lap and it was just new life. And then math got positive again. Then every calculation had like a, a positive tone to it rather than mm-hmm. a depressing tone. And then that just started feeding. Then I ran a, a 13 and then a 12.50 and then a 12.40. And, and then I started to bleed back out again, but I had earned four minutes back right there. And then 29 nope. was back on the table. So that right before dusk was the worst part of my day. Because I, hiking, I couldn't hike anymore with my normal stride. Mm-hmm. Because if I stretched out low and long, my hamstrings started to cramp. And if I powered down through my glutes short, my quads were trashed by the top of the hill and then I couldn't run downhill. So the uphills became just as bad as the downs. It was just a mess. I fell apart, Kirk. That's how it's supposed to go. That's exactly how it's supposed to go, especially if you're out there with performance goals, which you had, not only that, but you had nobody that was shoulder to shoulder with you. If it had gone any other way, you would have been disappointed in your effort. You wouldn't have learned jack shit. I think this is a good thing. And that's exactly it. Looking back, it was perfect. It was the full experience. But going in, like the unknowns are, will I roll an ankle? The unknowns that you know. The unknowns were ankles. My hip had been flaring up. Will that happen? 
Usually at three and a half, my calves and soleus act up. At some point, I'm going to have to change shoes because I'll start to blister. But the unknown unknowns, the I'm not sure what's going to happen and I don't know how to prepare for it because it's truly unknown. That started at four and a half hours in my race plan and I hit it at two and a half. And so I anticipated this gets really bad, but by that point, it's almost like a mile. By the time it gets really bad, you're gearing up for the last bit. And instead it hit before the halfway mark and it just like threw everything into disarray, which by the time I got through it, I was super grateful for because it shouldn't go according to plan. If you actually are there to learn something, I wouldn't have learned something. I would have confirmed what I knew. If you were to go out there and race, let's say it was a very competitive field and it was a six hour multi-lap, you know, lap format race like you did. Like if you were to go out and race it, even if you were to still be the winner in a highly competitive field, there's no way that last hour isn't one of the most miserable 60 minutes of your life, mm-hmm. let alone maybe the last two or three. Like that's, that's about how it goes. Yeah. I don't know. I, I One little point I wanted to make is about your caffeine intake at four hours. You know what I find with that is like, of course, like cellular energy wise, that, that helps. But what it doesn't do is like, it doesn't reverse the damage from all that eccentric loading. Like you can feel like cellular energy comes back, but if your muscles, tendons, ligaments, and joints are shot, sometimes I find that falls on like a deaf body, so to speak. Now a couple ibuprofen, pop those babies in there, put a little (laughs) cocktail together. Then you got yourself a stew, as you say. That's just what I found. Well, what what did I tell you going in? The difference between 28 and 30 is going to be how I can roll the flats. On my good yep. days, I'm running 620s on those flats in between the hills and the bad days, 720s. And that minute per mile difference is what's going to add up to a great day or an okay day. Right. My ups and downs left me and all I could do was run flats. Who would have thought? <laughs> it was like, it, it was exactly what was needed because the plan shouldn't carry you through an ultra if you're out there to learn, right? Right. So I, I was caught a little unaware, but luckily I had enough training And again, like it reinforced the power of what we're doing of it benefiting us. Mm -hmm. Like that concept again, of you're the, you're the average of the five people around you, or you're the sum of the five people around you. And our fifth person every week is a new spectacular person. And I was able to draw off every conversation we've had and all those little pieces from every little person is, I think what got me through this. I thought about everyone during that, like two and a half hours to four and a half, I was just cycling through my greatest hit catalog of what would be Kirk, what would Kirk be doing on this downhill? What would Johnny be doing on this downhill? Mm -hmm. How would Ian Hosick be power hiking here? What would Atkins be mindset wise? How would his feet be moving down here in this Mm -hmm. pit stop? What would, what would a really good, what would Mark Godette be doing on this pit stop versus someone who doesn't know how to run an ultra? I just kind of, I picked through the catalog and I stole from everyone to try to keep me held together. You know, we're lucky that way. Um, Something we don't really talk about. It is one thing to listen to a podcast conversation and absorb what is being said during it um, as you, the listener. And then it's another thing for us to be able to sit here and look people in the eyes and have the conversation ourselves. I feel like we're lucky in the sense that it's sort of, I absorb it more so than if I'm just listening to something, let's say, well, I'm out on a run. So we're kind of lucky that way. I I do want to ask you a couple of questions. Yeah. Yeah. Let's do it. I'm, I'm just curiosities that I would ask anybody, but first of all, did you, uh, did you wear a heart rate monitor? Nope. You didn't. So we have no data from that. You didn't want to, I'm assuming you just wanted to go off effort. Yeah. It, 
I just didn't want, I knew exactly what I wanted to do. And for some people, and, and honestly, it might've hurt me because I, I was going off solely exertion. I was going solely off of the work rate I had been using on all my prep hill workouts. And you can get that wrong. I still don't believe I went out hard, but there's a chance I went out just a beat or two high, but I did every little trick I could do. I mouth breathed the first two laps. I mean, sorry, <laughs> I nose breathed the first two laps uh-huh. just as a, an, an additional guardrail to not overwork. The first couple of hills, if you get, if your mouth, if your nose breathing, you can't overwork that hill through your nose. No. It's yeah. almost impossible. So I did little things like that to keep me reined in, but no, I, I just didn't want to see a number and be, be wasting energy worrying about anything I shouldn't be worrying about. It's fair. Okay. I don't even know if that's logical. That's just, that was my process for this. No, that's logical. What, uh, what shoes did you wear? I started in the Hoka Evil Mafate one, not the two, okay. which is the last pair I have. I can't find any other pair out there. This is it. That might've been their swan song this race. And I chose that because it ended up raining overnight. And it ended up raining during, and I went out to get my packet the night before, and it hadn't rained yet, and the course was already slick. And they just have a better lug than the Speed Goat. Mm-hmm. And those were the only two options I I wanted to worry about. The, the, I couldn't do that race with 9,600 feet of drop in a non-Hoka at this point in my training. I'd be the same way. Hoka needs to get their Evo line back in stock. My goodness, it is impossible to find those shoes right now. We need to talk about this, but the, the the drops have just occurred where the first responders of the shoe industry, so to speak, mm-hmm. are getting their info of Hoka's new line of trail shoes and racers that are coming out. And it looks like they're abandoning, for the most part, the evil line and just putting out new shoes. Oh. There's a carbon plated, basically a speed goat slash challenger with twin carbon plates parallel in there. Sweet. Lighter than, as light as the Challenger, but the height and cushion of the Speed Goat. And there's some other things coming. So I think they're just moving away from it. Okay. Well, sucks when you get dialed in on one of their shoes. But it doesn't help us right now in this moment. (laughs) No. Especially when you go refresh like all the websites every few weeks and they're still out of stock unless you wear a size 35 or a size 4. Yeah. What are you going to do with that shit? Um, Okay. What'd you eat? What, what nutrition did you take in? Uh, I, I was pure tailwind the whole time with whole time. Uh, a shot of a two third shot of perform elite at two hours and four hours. And it ended up being two twenty and like four or 12. Okay. No, uh, no bathroom breaks. Nope. Nice. No, I took in, I think 85 or 90 ounces of liquid throughout and never, never had the urge to pee once. Okay. I was getting in about. It ended up being less. I had 110 ounces along of mixed product and I got 85 to 90 in. So I think I was getting about 250 to 300 calories per hour in. Perfect. Probably closer to 250 with maybe 15 ounces of water per hour. Okay. And if we were to uh, just put a nice bow tie on this, what did you learn about yourself? What are the biggest, what are the biggest takeaways for you? First of all, it was really nice to have done this last year with Ross at a submaximal effort and compare how my body felt to this year. Last year, I worried about my knees throughout it. I still had a lot of scar tissue doing weird stuff last year. 
you know how that is where it just pulls weird or it impacts the way things glide through there. It gets in mm-hmm. the way. Sometimes it breaks up and then you have disconcerting pops and pain. And it was sharp for like 90 minutes last year and then it went away. And then my knees got dull and achy about three and a half hours and just got worse throughout. I did not feel a single second of my knees Huge. for six hours of pounding. So that was that alone was fantastic. And then I learned that uh, currently I'm in a better place mentally than I was any of the last three years. Okay. Because I had the quitting option there and I thought about it for a little bit and I didn't. Nicely done. Those were the positives that I took away. How many minutes did you have left to spare in that six hours? Like when you crossed the finish line the last time? Uh, They blew the one minute to go whistle as I was like 20 meters out. Oh my goodness. You cut it as close as you possibly could. Um, That's awesome. I continued to hit the full six. Good for you. Which I didn't know was even a thing until I crossed the line. And the race director said, hey, Brad. And I said, I'll be right back. I I didn't know that was going to happen, but that's not something that I would have ever thought to do in the past. But I realized I'm here for six hours. And so I ran another 55 seconds down the trail, stopped my watch when they blew the final whistle and then walked back. And I think that as well was a good, maybe if there was anything, like one thing to take away, it's that I wanted to get six rather than wanting to get out with the win. Yep. Awesome. And I wouldn't have predicted that. I think people like, if you think about how this should go in ultra long race, anything you really care about, and you look at people who do these things regularly and they do these things successfully and they're the people you look up to. And for some reason, it's easy for us to like only process the glory and not like process their struggle or their struggles mm. just aren't necessarily shared. Meaning like, of course, it is normal to have low points. Of course, it is normal to want to throw in the towel. Of course, it is normal. Even the sharpest of minds and the most, you know, sound humans out there are still going to if you're racing it now i'll put a little asterisk by it no doubt those demons come out for absolutely everybody and so like i think these things where you're like processing as you go about how you you're being honest about wanting to step off course at times and talk yourself out of it and then talk yourself into it that's normal man it is normal and most people think it's not and then they get out on course and they have these weak moments and they think they're a failure and they throw in the towel for no damn reason because even the best in the world have the same moments you do. They're just doing it faster. That's it. Yeah. And so I think it's just relatable. It's it's one of those things where we've talked about it before. Once you get to a bad part in the race, your mind's not to be trusted because it knows your low points. It knows your weak points. And it's just going to give you a logical out. And what we fail to remember is that it's not unique. It's not It's not anything that millions of other runners haven't already gone through. And we all quit for the same reason. It's because we think this is so personal and unavoidable to me that I I have to stop. And then you finish and you do quit and you realize it's the same thing every other person ever told themselves in this situation. The only difference between us and then the person that didn't stop is that they just decided not to. Injury is one thing, but I'm talking the real demons that make you quit. Once you realize that this is just normal. And millions of people got through it. If you don't, it's just because they're tougher. Mm-hmm. That that's that was really nice. There, the, this race was important to go to, knowing it wasn't a race. Mm-hmm. It's not like the Golden Trail series where everyone shows up to perform. 
the the race director gave a race a pre-race speech his name's john cox he gave it to the the 40 hour athletes about to start as i was picking up my packet and i just stopped and i listened and he said this beautiful line which was basically i'm gonna i might butcher his his wording but he said most of you are here to find something or to learn something many of you are here for redemption you're seeking something or seeking redemption do not leave here without it. Oh, I love that. And I thought about that a lot during the race because when when my 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 stretch goal was taken away and then the backup goal suddenly seemed nonsensical anymore, I thought, let's just be smart. Let's give my legs a break. Every step I take from here on out just lengthens the number of days I have to take off after this. Let's get back to training. And I thought, what would I be leaving here with? John specifically said, if you're here to do something, don't leave here needing to still do that thing. Mm -hmm. If you're seeking something, don't leave here still seeking it. He said, you will find it if you allow yourself to. Mm. And I was looking for a way to, to shortcut the real reason I was there. I was looking for an out rather than looking for a way back in. And I kept thinking about that. There's people out here walking for 40 hours. Mind blowing. They do not give a damn if I hit 28 or 29 miles because that's not the reason we're here. So that don't leave here without the reason you came. That was really big for me during that. And it was a great perspective to not be in a race situation. It was a, everyone's out here seeking. Mm -hmm. And there's everybody type out there, every level of fitness, maybe, maybe not every level, but most levels of fitness and every level of suffering out there. But every single person seemed determined to not leave without having found whatever that thing was. And it was beautiful to watch. That's a good speech. Sounds like we might need to get this guy in the podcast. Yeah, he and uh, and Becca, uh, Becca Jones and John Cox are a couple and they put this on. And it's on their her dad's homestead. Hmm. They've had the land in their family for hundreds of years. And they just built a one mile hilly course in their backyard and ran it for themselves and hiked it for themselves. And eventually their buddies started doing it eventually. And I don't know their full story, but basically just evolved into, we should host a little event here. Sweet. It was the purest event I think I've ever been a part of these last two years. There's no prize money. Everyone shows up knowing this is someone's land, respect it. It's a backyard deal. And no one leaves disappointed other than in themselves. Mm-hmm. Is the most positive event I've ever been a part of. Probably the most impactful event I've ever watched people be a part of. And because it's one lap over and over and over, you just get to know people. You know, one of the cool things about moving fast on that course is I got to see people a lot more than other people might get to. Right. And you got to watch their progression through the event. And they got to watch mine. You know, I tried to say, I tried to talk to every single person I went by for all six hours, even if it was just a few words and everyone outside of one woman, every single person there engaged with you the whole time. Hmm. And this one woman was freaking locked in. I don't think she heard me one time in six hours. She was a machine, but every single person there had an ongoing conversation and some, you couldn't do this in a normal setting, but you remembered every single person. I probably had 70 different conversations going and you mm-hmm. never confuse people. You'd come around and you'd pick right back up with the conversation you're having with him and you get up to her and you remember, oh yeah, she's from Franklin, Tennessee. And you move on with that. And this guy came up from Georgia and it's like this magical, like groundhog's day you're caught in. It was really, mm-hmm. really cool. That is sweet. 
Yeah, that's sort of how I felt about um, these time trial format trail races that I had done earlier this year. Because when you're not shoulder to shoulder with anybody and you're out there just competing against yourself, because that's all you can do in the mm -hmm. moment. Of course, there are results. There are no money or anything, but the results in your event as well. It just comes down to its purest sense. And it's like, it's me against me today. I choose how much and how long and how hard I suffer. And that's all I really need to find out if I can keep the pedal down or not. And it was actually very liberating, very glorious, and probably some of my favorite races I have done. Sure, I won. Sure, you won. But even if I hadn't, and I know I'd gone out there and just sort of like got to know myself, so to speak, mm -hmm. it was a huge win without distraction. And so I see a huge appeal in that. In fact, like part of me almost wishes there were more time trial format races on purpose. Now, they, they don't always serve their place. I like real races, don't get me wrong. But there's something about the nature of that that, I don't know, I found more out about myself in those than I would have if we all mass started in a weird way. And I don't know why. No, you're 100% yeah. right. Yeah. And, and one thing that became clear to me is that because we come from middle school to high school to college track and cross country and then moved right into competitive racing after that you had a slight delay in yours but we we just kept the same mentality and the same style which is compete at all costs and so mm -hmm. from the moment we the gun goes off into the moment it ends 99% of the time you're out there trying to break everyone around you down no because your goal is to beat them more than it is to do anything else 99% of the time. So the entire race is inherently negative, which is fueling. It's a positive negative, if that makes sense. But on this course, 99% of the time, it was to build the people around you up. Like if someone could get someone to the top of the hill faster than them, they did everything they could to do that. Yeah. Because it was a totally different purpose and it was crazy to see the bonds. I can't tell you how many times I'd lap someone go past and hear them talking about something deep, spirituality, religion, finances, relationships, like real mm -hmm. stuff. And then two or three laps later, I'd come through and I'd hear one of them go, and what's your name? I don't think I caught that. Like these people, because of the shared experience of why you're there, you bypass the pleasantries and the, the peripheral distractions and the crust. And you just get right down to the core immediately. These people within minutes of knowing each other were talking about divorce and lawsuits and God and, and diets and, and every, they were going right to the stuff you avoid because that's just what that kind of event does to you. And then later on, and by the way, what's your name? Where are you from? That's so funny. Like sometimes I wanted to laugh and other times I just wanted to applaud. And you know what though, when you're, when you're struggling with anything, athletic or life or anything, it kind of strips you down to like your most vulnerable self, right? Yeah. It's why I talked about what I talked about almost three months ago with the alcohol and stuff like that. It's like, at some point, there's nothing left, but like, what is raw and true. And that's kind of like, that's almost why I like training as much or more than anything else. It's like, you against you, you're sorting through your stuff without the added distraction of competition, like, mm -hmm. uh, and in a very probably magnified sense, it's what, what you went through. How often you go out for a run, just a training run, and you sort through one of your life's problems without even intending to sometimes. Yeah. Pretty incredible. That's nice. Well, did you sort, did you sort anything out, Bracken out there? Were you sharing any of these good tidbits or were these just 
you were just a fly in the wall for these. You're like, yeah, you should invest more in your 401k <laughs> next time you come around. <laughs> I, I thought my role was different out there because inherently I'm, I'm the jerk, right? I'm running the shortest distance race there. Flying by people. Six hours is the second longest style of racing that I'll have done. However, it's the shortest, it's the entry option to this race. This is where the the noobs come out and find out a little bit about themselves and then come back the next year and try the 12 or the 24. Second of all, I'm the only person out there, eh, there were probably two or three, attacking the course, running it for time. The guy who was doing the 24, he and I gelled pretty well and we like kept on each other the whole time pep talking and attack all the other conversations are like hey man we got this stay on it one at a time everything's right you know that and with him and i it was like keep the pedal down we we had our own little kind of vibe going throughout that but otherwise i i'm inherently the asshole on the course i'm the one zipping by people i'm the one blasting down hills i'm the one sometimes disturbing rocks on the descent you know i'm doing everything i can to not get in the way but so my purpose out there was to dull every one of those things and like mm-hmm. mellow yeah. it all down and make it palatable from them for me to be out there and not ruin their experience. Yep. So like all I could do out there is be a supporter, be an encourager. And so that's mm-hmm. all I wanted to do. It's not out there to talk about me. I do that every day in, <laughs> on this podcast <laughs> and in life. It was just, how can I possibly be a benefit to this course while doing something that at first blush, they're not going to enjoy. My first couple laps coming through, I got very little replies from most people because like, Oh, look at the six hours just started. You know, some of these people have been out there for 24 hours, six hours with all their fresh legs and full of ambition Mm -hmm. and they're out here for the wrong reasons. So like it was a personal challenge to become one of them by the end. I bet you earned some respect after that many laps going by with intensity and focus pretty soon people warm up to you. Yeah. But I wanted to temper the intensity with humanity. Because you're, that's not the course to go out there and just steamroll through crowds. Right, it was, right. how can you descend out of control while staying out of everyone's way? No. Never impede anyone and always be encouraging. So I actually, for the first time in months, didn't talk about me at all. <laughs> I just <laughs> did whatever I could to make everyone else there feel like we're all doing this together. I'm not out here trying to show you up. I'm out here trying to do what you're doing just at a different pace. Okay. I like that. Did anybody, last question I'm asking, and then I'm going to tell you congratulations, and then we're going to move on to the Spartan Race World Championships. But um, did anybody ever know you were struggling and then end up having to offer you some offer you uh, some words other than maybe your wife, or were you uh, that internal? I was pretty internal. It, it's an interesting race because you only ever see people's sides and backs unless you're spectating. So no one ever really actually looks anyone in the face. Right, right. The ground's too technical to spend too much time looking anywhere but down. So I don't know if anyone ever saw my, I, I, I'm assuming my expression in my eyes got more and more vacant and hollow as I went. Mm-hmm. But uh, I, I absolutely, the last hour was audibly in pain. I couldn't run down the hills. It felt like someone was leg kicking my quads on every step mm-hmm. downhill. And I couldn't not let out a, Ugh! on every yeah. single foot plant for the last hour going downhill. So at that point, people knew, but they were so positive at that point that no one gave sympathy. They only gave encouragement on the course because mm-hmm. everyone realized you didn't want to hear sympathy. No. 
people stopped asking and I stopped asking how much time you have left. That wasn't, that wasn't the kind of talk on course. So it was kind of nice not to be sympathy. It was just all encouragement. I like it. Well, Bracken, congratulations. Thank you. I have two talking points, Kirk, and they're both quick. Yep. First is that I got a lot of questions on gear and what I used. So I want to run through the full kit. Okay. Again, this is the, I'm going to, the disclaimer is it worked for me, but it's not going to work for everyone. So I started in the Evo Mafates and Evo Mafate one with Swiftwick quarter socks. Oh no, sorry. I started with Darn Tough actually. And they have less compression, which I actually mm-hmm. like for long races because I swell a little bit. I wore Nike Aeroswift half tights, which are my new favorite half tight. They have a built-in brief that's non-supportive. It's just there. And I combine mm-hmm. that with my running briefs and there is no, uh, there's no visual disturbance combined when you combine the briefs with the built-in it. liner. It's a yeah. very subtly flattering thing. You don't, you don't put anything out there for the world. So I loved them. And then I wore a craft nano weight singlet on top and it was okay. fantastic. It is the lightest, most breathable thing I've ever worn. I did not wear the new running public singlet because I did not want to muddy that thing up. Mm. And then I wore a craft nano weight hat as well. I would have worn my, either my North Pier Brewing or my VJ that uh, Boca hat because it's even yep. more breathable. But the the craft hat I have is pink and Lisa requested I wear something bright so they could see me coming through the trees each time. Valid. At the halfway point, the bottom of my feet were really starting to take a a beating and an issue. So I swapped socks to Swiftwick and I swapped to Speed Goat 4s. Yep. And that was the only change throughout. I kept the shirt, the shorts, the underwear. The, I wore my Garmin watch, the Forerunner, the entire time. Uh, I had 11 mini, like 10 ounce, nine ounce bottles of premix. I could just grab and take it as I come through, usually just tossed it back to people, but it was small enough. I could tuck it in my waistband and not carry weight on course for my headlamp. I used that Nog Bilby 400 and I combined it with a waist lamp, which was an absolute Hmm. game changer. It's basically like a thin mesh running belt. I use the ultra aspire lumen belt. And it has an 800 lumen light, which is double the Nog's headlamp. And so I had 800 lumens on my waist and 400 on my head. And the waist light was a game changer because of two things. One, it provides constant spotlight in front of you, no matter where your head moves. Hmm. You can just spot with your head, whatever you want. And then the second thing is I've never had any, I've never finished a race with a headlamp without a stiff, sore neck because you end up using your head as like a, like this stationary piece to see where you're going. And I didn't have that in this race because I always had my waist lamp highlighted. My head was loose and relaxed so that if I ever run a long distance race again, I'm going to stick with that waist lamp. It was a huge, huge benefit. Right now, And the biggest thankfulness I had on course was salty britches. It is a anti-chafing kind of like gelatinous cream and I used it at the start and I have never been chafe free at the end of an ultra before. And I have nothing. Wow. Which for, for me is spectacular. I chafe in the groinal region, anything longer than two hours. And I did six hours and it was muggy and I sweat the whole time and I had no chafing whatsoever. So salty britches was the absolute truth. And I broke our own rule, Kirk. I've never used it before, but I was not confident in my, my approach to non-chafing. 
it was more like not even, it was half prevention what I was going to do. And it was in our race packet. And that morning I looked at it and I thought, I'm rolling the dice. And mm-hmm. the second I opened it, I realized this stuff's nasty. That's a safe thing to roll the dice on a little bit. Yeah, because I could always reapply something else. But I, it took me 10 minutes to get it off my hands after applying it. I knew at that point this stuff's going to last. Maybe not put that on before before an OCR when you got you know monkey bars early on or something. No, I, there's probably a, a tactic for like putting it on a wipe and then putting it on you rather than touching it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that was that was the truth. I will use it for every ultra in the future. So that's my gear breakdown. Sweet. You had one other point. Yes. Ayla ran six laps. <laughs> I saw that. <laughs> what on earth? I didn't sign her up for the kids race. I told her it was full because the, the kids race is a 5K. It's three laps. Nope. That would be almost a uh, thousand feet of vert. She's six. I was just like, you're going to have fun with one lap and that's it. She went out with my mom for a lap and then Mira for a lap and my dad for a lap. And then she just ran two solo laps by herself. She just wouldn't stop. And she would have kept going, but eventually people are like, you should probably give it a rest. And her legs are smashed these last two days. She's got <laughs> Dom setting in. She's six with, with eccentric loading on the quads. And she's, it was awesome to watch. She was so joyful on course. And she was insistent on going out for more laps, all self-driven. Oh yeah. Begging to go out for more chatting with everyone out on course. I kept running past people like, is that your kid? Like, yeah. Like, she just chatted us up. Yeah. She's great. It was awesome to watch the, the joyfulness. I, I was watching her thinking, I wish I could run for the same reasons that she runs. Mm-hmm. She runs for the reasons we should be running. Let her keep reminding you of that. So I had to brag. I rarely brag about my kids, but she ran six and a half miles and almost 1900 feet of vert this weekend. Wild. Wild. That's amazing. Well, congratulations to her as well, then. Yeah. And Lisa, my dad, my mom, my Uncle Tim, fantastic pit crew. And then Kelsey, my cousin Kelsey, and her husband Campbell came out. So it was awesome seeing faces out there. And then I'd like to have John and Becca on at some point. But if if any of them are listening, fantastic experience again. They're doing everything right. And they do everything they should, nothing they shouldn't. They strike the balance. And it was I was honored and thankful to be able to take part of it again. That's great. Did I dream this or did you run into VJ Jones out there? <laughs> yeah. Okay, because I can't wrap my head. I, I saw I'm like, did I dream that? Because that makes no sense to me why I saw you and VJ Jones together out there. I couldn't figure out. So I'm like, yeah, you must have just dreamed that. I text Nick Riker when I got in. I said, Hey, I just got here because he's just outside of Franklin, Tennessee. Mm-hmm. I said, hey, I need a shakeout tomorrow. He goes, VJ just got into town. You guys should come by at the same time. So I messaged VJ. He's like, you're here? I said, yeah. I said, okay, let's run. So the next day we all got together. We were going to get together that night. And Nick said, sorry, I actually have a date. Yeah, right, Nick. He did. He said there might not be a second. But Mm, they they went to a Predators game, had a good time. And then the next day I got to run with VJ and Nick. What was VJ doing there? He drove with Richard Diaz because Richard just moved up. They drove 31 hours straight to get there. So did you see Richard too? I got to see Richard. What a party. What a nice little reunion that you had no idea was going to happen. Nick, VJ, myself, Richard, and we hung out at Nick's gym, D1 training or D1 something in Franklin. It is legitimately heaven on earth. How's this for a segue? I have more FOMO. Um, because of you hanging out with them than I do 
of the Spartan Race World Championships. That's honest truth. It's honest. I share sentiment, <laughs> and it's a good segue. My goodness, I my FOMO was at a hundred. I was anticipating that live coverage, which never really came through. And then I saw you and I both hopped on Cole DeRosa's Instagram feed. Thank you, Cole, for providing some sort of coverage of that race in real time. Did you see what Rich and Jack and I did? I I didn't. Live commentary or something? We basically just did one of these, but with keep putting up any Instagram stories we saw or Athlinks coverage and just BSed our way through three hours and 42 minutes of race coverage. Oh, you did? Oh, I didn't know that. Uh, yeah, it was nonsense. I tuned in and we'll break this down a little bit here for maybe 15 minutes, but, um, and I saw people bombing down one of those big sand dune mountains into the festival area around mile seven. I was like, FOMO's a hundred watching them go down that zigzagging their way down back and forth sand flying everywhere. I was like, Oh my goodness. And then they dawdled right at the, some of the obstacles and they watched a few people come in and then they turned back as to everybody going uphill and people were crawling on their hands. Literally. This isn't figuratively crawling. This is literally crawling up this dune, And looking like they're going backwards at best. There were top 10 guys, top 10 in the world championships, pausing on hands and knees. And I think it was Logan, but someone at some point was crawling and then just laid down on their stomach for a second. (laughs) Seven miles into a 13 mile race, they're in the top 10 and they were broken. Incredible. And I saw that and my FOMO went from 100 to negative 100 instantly. And I was like, that is so specific, the training that would be needed for this. And I would have been so underprepared that I would I would like to think I would handle that better than most. But let's not kid ourselves. You got to be ready for that shit. And so, oh, my goodness. I, I, I don't want to pat Spartan on the back for this because there's a lot of things they could do better. But I can't say after watching it, like kudos spartan like you brought on something that people will never forget and for that you 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 win you did you did it right in my opinion and so holy shit bracken i guess you watched more coverage than i did so you have you have more hot takes but that was my first first glance thoughts ryan kent messaged us during uh, i'm trying to think who else did several pros message saying i cannot want to be there any less than i do right now No one had any desire to be in that because you could see that it was pure hell. Yeah. Pure hell. Hell is the right. Hell is actually the only incorrect word to use. No hope. There's nothing left in your tank. Everything's been stripped away. It's 90 some degrees. You're dehydrating. You're getting heat exhaustion. And there's no momentum to roll forward. Everything you've trained is now exposed and you're left with just basically your skeletal system. <laughs> That's it. And and then you look at like, and man, like we love to puff our chests out here in the U S and North America talking about the best contingency of racers. And maybe it, maybe it's true or not. And then you go down the results list and you feel a little bit ashamed to be an American in a sense that like, you know, I know that not a lot of, of, of North Americans headed over, but then I look at those who did and had high hopes for people and it's no fault to them. Cause I'm sure it would have happened to me or you too. And then you go, 
are we really the best or do we just not see these well-versed fit athletes enough in our home turf to really know if we are the best? Because the U.S. contingency, North American contingency, other than Ryan Atkins and Lindsey Webster, I would say and did Annie. not perform. And Annie. Oh, you're right. And Annie, of course. Very impressive. Didn't perform like, I kind of want to, you know, it's like a little tail between the legs thing as us as a whole. And I don't know mm-hmm. if it's because it's lack of density sent over or if it was just like, how the hell do you get ready for a race like this? And then the travel and the logistics and the no sleep and the different food and all the nightmarish stuff that can happen added up and it was just too much. I don't know. It's just like tough to dissect. I would love to hear some of those top contender, U.S. contender, North American contenders, you know, break down why they think maybe they weren't able to access their fitness because I'm sure that was the case, but incredible. It was the purest form of Spartan at its vision from its inception from Joe DeSena, which was to rip everyone apart and expose them. And it was the worst example of how to put on a championship that tests the demands of the regular season. And I think it highlights the need for a legitimately normalized course for a world championship and the need for a spectacle course like this for the second championship of every year. I think there should be two every single year. You should have a West Virginia or a Morzine or Andorra or something every year, something like that that tests the best OCR racer. And then there should be something like this that tests the, I don't even know what that test is, but the best like true ethos of Spartan. There should be a regular event and a spectacle experience because you're right. No one will ever forget that. And I don't want to keep bringing it back to I've raced there because no one cares, but I care bragging. I think some people may have thought that I was hyperbolizing using a bit of hyperbole when I talked about how it was the most miserable experience, race experience of my life that I've never been more thrashed by a course that it's, there's no momentum. It's just a pure test of overall engine and fitness. Like you can't fake Mm -hmm. anything. It's going to be worse than you expect, but that's truly it. You, I'll never forget my time racing over there and none of these people will ever, and whether they liked it or hated it, they're not the same for it. So there's a place for this kind of thing. And I think a lot of people are going to be hesitant to, to do it again next year. Or they're going to be full in on prepping. You can't prep for this race in three to four weeks. Has Have they announced it's there again next year? No. Okay. Not I, that I've I, seen. It's like I didn't know I missed something there. But but they've never won and done a world championship location. So they're either going to break form or they're going to do it again. In Texas, won and done? Okay. Outside of the very first year, but once they switched to the beast locate beast duration, they've never won and done. They've done a minimum of three years. Mm-hmm. But it's truly horrid racing conditions. It looked like it. On the flip side of the coin, I must say, very impressed with the overseas and European contingency. Mm-hmm. Like holy smokes! Like there are names on there I've never heard of or seen before in the top ten on both accounts, and that's probably part of me living with blinders on over here. But like. I mean, wow. I was like, I wish that some of the, I wish we would come together more often and have a real clash of the Titans, yeah. so to speak. Um, I, I don't know if you recognized most of those names, like even in the top 20, but it went so far down of people. I had no idea who they were that I one felt a little silly. And two, it was like, hats off. Like clearly, you know, we live in our own little bubble here a good bit. And there's a lot of respect to be given overseas to people that we don't even pay tribute to. And so for that, 
I was very impressed. I mean, we're always ethnocentric. We always look at ourselves as the center of the universe. And for a long time, the sport of OCR was us and John Albin and, Mm -hmm. you know, James Appleton or Zuzana or maybe an Albert Solia. Yeah, but that was it. But we forget that that's the way they look at us as we're the pretenders and they have the real courses. So on a place like that in Abu Dhabi, all bets are off. I was with Jack on the live stream and he didn't know 25% of the names. It says something. Mm-hmm. I'll tell you what, nothing stroked my ego like Sergey taking second and almost winning the thing because I've raced that man three times over there and he has beat me all three times and it made me feel a whole lot better about losing to him. Mm-hmm. I bet. He put six minutes on Albin in the last three miles and he pushed Atkins to his breaking point. Insane. I think he's coming into better and better fitness over the years, obviously, but have it come together like that insane and then to, and then just to pay tribute to Atkins performance when we know what Albin is capable of although I'm sure Albin would go back and do things differently the time gap there is is astounding we've never seen a time gap like that in the top three no I don't think so it's huge to me it cements Ryan Atkins as the most impressive all-around endurance athlete that I've ever seen I'm not saying that he's the best endurance athlete ever because that's impossible to judge. By certain definitions, he is. But mm-hmm. but I don't think you can give that title away. That's for everyone to argue and debate about. But the most impressive, wide-ranging athlete ever, this is a man who has won Spartan World Championships. He has won an OCR short course, I believe he did. He has been competitive. He is the He's won Spartan Games. He has won races he's done things like deca strong and been competitive he mm-hmm. has outraced josiah middog on a mountain bike he has won the north face 50 mile race in the mm-hmm. up on the east coast he has been top 10 in broken arrow sky race i believe he has put up top 30 i think performance at the golden trail series world championships He has just been competitive or the best at every form of endurance racing he's ever tackled. Mm -hmm. He was a professional mountain biker. He was a professional downhill specialist mountain biker. He was a world champion unicyclist, off-road unicyclist. I mean, it's just, I've yet to see him him look bad at, or even look mortal at an endurance competition. Like we see John doing such crazy running things, but Ryan's more wide ranging than John's been. For sure. I think we're lucky and a little spoiled to be living in the time that he is. Yeah. I will say you know, we, we see Ryan Atkins happy after winning races and doing well in races. And then there was something where this is going to sound weird, but like his soul was happy and you could see it through his eyes and his expression. He almost choked up in his interview yeah, I don't think I saw a more satisfied... That man could retire from OCR tomorrow, I think, and be satisfied now. You could just tell that it was done the right way. He had an epic battle. He dug. He finished. He beat some great competition. Finally wins the world championship on a course that is deserving of winning a world championship and feeling like you've really earned something, you know? And then on the flip side of the coin, if if this is Lindsay Webster's swan song... um. Really nice to see her going out the way she did. I mean, in our interview, 
we did with her about a year ago. She talked about wanting to start a family and slowing down and possibly being done and focusing on the next phase of her life. And if, if this is the way it works out, like, I don't know, makes me feel good for some reason. I have nothing to do with it. And that's always means you're doing something big, right? And something impactful. Yeah. They got my response. I said spoiled. Are we, is anyone more spoiled than our opinion of Lindsay Webster? Like we doubt her or we don't get excited by some of the things she does because I've never seen someone other than Hobie. And now I think she's surpassed that to make winning look easy and casual like she does. She, she entered this year questioning if she wanted to even do this year. Mm-hmm. She entered by her own standards out of racing shape. And her fire kind of got stoked throughout the year. And maybe her ego got got prodded a little bit. But this was the year that she was on her way. She had one foot out the door already, which is the hardest way to train for a world championship type performance. Oh, and you have nothing left to prove yeah. as well. She smoked people this year. She made it look easy again. It was almost her results make her performances look almost disdainful because she's so unperturbed on course. Mm-hmm. I, we can't apply the way someone looks to how they feel inside, but I've never seen someone that makes me more convinced that they're not being pushed than Lindsay Webster. Mm-hmm. She is spectacular. I agree. Yeah, you're right. If this was her swan swan song, she proved she's not a one-trick pony, which we knew she wasn't. She's won flat courses, but she she rolls with every single punch easily. It's crazy. You know what I like about the course, again, speaking completely from secondhand knowledge, I guess, is we talked about the last time the Spartan Race World Championships were in Tahoe in 2019, which seems like forever ago. And you were out on course watching and you just said it took like a level of grit and a level of toughness. Like the people who were mentally tough, mentally gritty were the ones who did well. The ones who just said, I'm going to suffer. It's going to suck. And it doesn't really matter. Like strategy might as well be out the window at this point because now we're just sitting in the suck fest. Mm-hmm. And you, you made that comment and I agree that grit sort of won in those conditions in Tahoe that year. And you basically just inverse those conditions and we have Abu Dhabi this year. And I think it just, I think if anything, I can feel good about like, if grit is the deciding factor of what wins out and what doesn't, of course, there's nuances on top of that. Like, not that it's about how I feel at the end of this, but like, I feel good about the results and who ends up on top, knowing that it comes down to like grit. And there's no way around that on this course, again, speaking only from second or third hand knowledge, but it's like if, you know, I know we think maybe we need a super distance on a balanced course, but like if the Spartan Race World Championships were held on a fast and flat Florida course at the super distance and it was one, I wouldn't feel nearly as fulfilled inside for some reason, even as a spectator. I want to see people Mm -hmm. suffer. I want to see lives change. I want to see somebody question why the hell they do this sport in the first place when they cross the finish line. And maybe there's a little bit of, you know, I'm a little sadistic. I don't know, but like, I don't know. It just seemed rude. It seemed like more like it got back to its foundation, um, which you know more about than I do. But I just enjoyed seeing it. That's it. And I really enjoyed like the like the UAE like embraced it. It seemed like from their streams like it was I mean, we only know what we're shown, but it seemed like it was a really embraced event by by them. And I thought that was kind of neat to see. It, it reminded me of the sports inception. It reminded me in a strange way of Killington. 
the UAE embraced it the same way Killington embraced it. Like this is, it, it felt like they felt a, like their heartstrings being tugged by it. Killington is a, a blue collar mountain town. The UAE, I mean, that area stems from desert survival. And so I think both towns felt a little bit of a connection to this crazy sport out there doing their thing. And I, I think that one of the reasons people criticize Spartan throughout the years is because they say they don't innovate and things are too easy. It, it's because the athletes are so good. Yep. They have perfected how to race a Spartan race to the point where the winner crosses the line looking satisfied and second place grins and throws their hands up and runs across and fifth place falls over and fourth and fifth kind of jogging together. This is like the early Killington days where first place 10th place and 30th place all fall over across the line. Mm -hmm. like everyone's everyone's exposed and broken down and rubbed raw. And we haven't seen that in a long time. Even some of the nasty courses, you see people looking over their shoulder, coming in like, should I push more or not? Everyone arrived destroyed. Mm -hmm. Feels good to see that, doesn't it, Bracken? Feels good that it wasn't us at the same time. Like I, mm -hmm. I had a, a crucible moment out there on course. And I also understand that I didn't go through what they went through. Yeah. And part of me, as proud as I am of myself, still questions what would have happened had I mm -hmm. stepped foot out there. Because uh, you can't know. Yeah. Would you like to see it back there or no? Just uh, knee-jerk reaction. What do you think? Yes. But not as the standalone world championship. What do you do with it then? I think you have a two- part world championship each year you have the spartan race world championship and you have the spartan race world championship part two <laughs> i think one's a spectacle okay. crucible event and then one is a race event okay I, I think there's room for both i i think that there it is such a long season they could revamp the format a little bit and have room for both races and I also still think that they have a, they could have a better location for that. I think the Hata location, the second place I raced, H-A-T-T-A, um, it's closer to Bahrain, it's in Dubai. Um, that is a, that still is a championship level location that would do just what this one did, but with a little bit more running. If they wanted to not have two different events, that would do both. Yeah. I understand all the U.S. frustration. But that's how Europe has felt for the last right, eight years. Right. So yep. I like the idea of an overseas event. I think we need to have it again. Because the year, I said this on the live stream, but the Europeans deserve the chance to prove themselves right. That it wasn't a one-off. It was just a course fluke. I want to see it over there where the U.S. has to travel again. And the U.S. can yep. reload, revamp, come back. And the European racers can prove themselves right. So I don't think it deserves to come back to the U.S. next year. I agree with you on that. I don't know the logistics of figuring out two like pseudo world champs. I mean, it's great in theory for sure, but I, I think it should stay overseas. I think that we should, you know, we should be forced in a sense to go and, and do what everybody else has had to do for the last decade. And that is get out of sorts, get out of time zones, get out of comfortability and go race somewhere else. I think yeah. it's fair. Yep. Even if it's at expense of my pocketbook, like yeah. it, is what it, it is what it is. I think it's the right thing to do. If I'm healthy, I'll be there next year. And I even preface that, but it's the only reason why we weren't there this year. Um, the My final reaction to all that is that we've always been compared to triathlon and Ironman. 
because they are the oddball sport in the endurance world as well. I see Dubai or or you know the Abu Dhabi as Kona. Kona doesn't really fall in line with the other courses. It's the spectacle event that everyone glamps onto in the mainstream society and media. But the real racers focus on ITU series or they focus on 70.3 or they focus on other time trial-ish courses. And then they go out there in the heat and the humidity and the winds and the lava fields and they suffer. Mm -hmm. But there still is a 70.3 world championship each year and there's an ITU championship. There's that Olympic distance. And I think that's where the sport has room. We have our, we can have our Olympic distance and we can have our world championship spectacle. I do think there's room for both. Okay. I'm in. All right. That'd be sweet. I wish we could bullshit longer. I, uh, for those of you listening, I may or may not be seeing you in Florida this weekend. That's all. I haven't booked anything yet, but I'm thinking, of thinking of going, giving her a rip. Well, that's even more encouraging than what I made my city field race to seem like. So why? I said, I'm not going on Wednesday and I bought a flight Thursday. So if you're saying you might go, that's practically oh. by running public standards, a guarantee that you'll be there. Yeah, that's fair. If I do go, um, which I mean, I'm feeling so relaxed about it, which is a really good place to be, but I'll, I'll probably go and give the, uh, I've never done this before, which is wild, but give the old trifecta a crack. I might Ooh. go, uh, I might go give them all a rip and See if I can't come close to Mr. Log- Logan Broadbent's uh, triple win, I think, in Ohio or wherever it was. Um, no idea who's going to show up. If you're going, let me know. Um, I'd like to know who to look out for there um, so I can say hi. But thinking about it, I mean, it's so anticlimactic the week after the Spartan Race World Champs to go down to like Central Florida and go run Spartan Race just for kicks. But You'll have Alvaro. Yeah, he's speedy, huh? Very. Alvaro Vasquez, he's like a 15-minute 5 k'er ish right yeah. i don't think i'm in that shape right now but um we will see tbd well i hope you go yeah good oh and um i don't know i haven't discussed this with you bracken quick before we hang up but lots of feedback from people saying they want some jerseys and singlets i don't know if you got the same but yes i did um I, we're, we're a few yeses away from just pulling the trigger on ordering some running public racing gear um and we looked at our t-shirt stash we have three t-shirts left in total. Oh my goodness. We got to do something about this. That's it. So we're going to have to get on some sort of ordering scheme there. But anyways, singlets, couple more nudges, and I think we're going to order them. So. Okay. That's we'll it. refine the designs and we'll get them to you. Sweet. That's all we got, right, Bracken? Kirk, it was great seeing your beautiful face. Thanks, Bracken. It was nice seeing your face too. <laughs> <laughs>